Will you please welcome to the stage our guest moderator, Boyd Hilton. Thanks very much. Thanks for coming. Um, this is, should be a very exciting event. Um, we're kind of celebrating the great comedy work of Mark, and we're kind of launching this new um, this show, which is coming out um, on download on the 28th of November. Uh, you can download it from iTunes. You can pre-order it now. It's a full-length show, and you get loads of extras as well. Uh, I watched it last night. It's brilliant. Um, but before I introduce Mark and talk to him about lots of fascinating things, let's have a look now at the kind of trailer for this downloaded show. I remember coming home from school once and my dad said, would you rather Father Christmas didn't exist or your mum was dead? Ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome Emma Watson! I saw this film trailer, uh, this horror film. It said, you'll never feel safe in your home again. I said, what the hell? Okay, I won't go and see that then, thank you. <laughs> Possible chase. Possible chase. Oh, come on, get out. Unbelievable. Have to go around there. Squatting? <laughs> Quickly. <laughs> A friend of mine used to say, well, I can never do a Welsh accent. If I try and do Welsh, it comes out Pakistani. Yeah, and then he said, well, if you try harder to master it, Ahmed. <laughs> You're watching reality being tampered with here. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Watson. Hello. Hi, Hello. Boyd. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? Oh, yeah, I am good. Thanks. Good. Yeah. Good. Just at my, I'm just at my launch. Yeah. Yeah. Very smart. Yes. Yeah, sort of embarrassingly smart, really. Looking around the audience, I feel like I misjudged the situation. Well, um, I feel like I've underdressed because yeah, I'm yeah. slightly overdressed. So if you take the average, we've yeah. just about yeah. nailed this. But you're actually smarter than like smarter than you were even on that on on, on when you're doing the show. Oh, I never wear a suit. This is the first time since my wedding. Is it really? Yeah. Okay. Normally I'd have to die before I was dressed like this, but I just um, I don't know. I thought I thought the combination of the the Apple Store and the yeah. um. Uh, it's a prestigious event. Yep. And, um, also, now and again, it's nice to not look like complete shit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You look great. Yeah, you look lovely. Yeah. Um, I feel good. Yeah. I start to wish I'd worn a suit for the <laughs> biggest performance of my career now, but I know what Which that was. Uh, I suppose it was. Your, your yeah. homecoming show at, at Bristol, Bristol Hippodrome. In the sense that it was all um, immortalised on film. Yeah. Probably yeah. yeah. Um, I watched it last night. I've seen, I've, seen, I've seen your show a few times. But what struck me... Um, Watching it again was that it seems so free form. Like the whole, like some people, I guess some stand ups have a big topic that's, that's the kind of kernel of the show, and others, you know, kind of do stuff um, very much structured around certain stories. But yours seems, from, from when you watch it, very free form. Is it really free form, or, or is it heavily structured and all very well rehearsed behind that? I'm a genius improviser. <laughs> okay. It just comes, the magic comes from nowhere. Well, actually, this was an unusual show, the DVD one, because. Um, uh, normally, if it was a full day, sorry, I can't help noticing that we're sort of attracting more people uh, that have no intention of being here originally, but we're drawing them in. This is yeah. kind of quite exciting for me. This is how the 24-hour show started. Just a few maniacs, and the next thing you know, people drift. At the moment, there are still more people in the Apple Store not watching the event than watching the event, but by 8 o'clock, my dream is to have reversed that figure. Yeah. Um, it's I, a big store, though, so... It's a big store, yeah, but I'm yeah. a big dreamer, yeah. Boyd. Fair enough. I, um, I, it's kind of... Uh, this was a peculiar... DVD, the DVD record, I'm not allowed to say DVD. Download, so download. The download, the show, download. Um, was a bit of an unusual one for me because um, normally with a uh, sort of festival length show, I'd have a whole theme and it would be a bit more coherently arranged around that theme. This was kind of a greatest hits thing, okay. which meant that it was kind of grafted together from three or four shows, which means that it probably 
Uh, I was jumping around between themes oh, okay. much more than I normally would. But on top of that, there is this sort of about 25% of my shows are just pure uh, chaos, and I'm doing things like eating Pringles or chasing people around, yeah. and it's not really possible to plan those things. No. And even with the DVD recording, I was, um, or whatever it might be, a download, I um, I was. <laughs> I'm both. quite old-fashioned. It, it will be both. It will yeah. be both. It's let's face it. Let's we're face it. We're obviously celebrating the virtual release here. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, I was quite keen to make it still a bit sort of shambolic and do stuff like that because I think it's a shame that on um, uh, people's DVDs you don't often, you, you don't normally, they're normally a little bit too sort of rigidly rehearsed right. and understandably because it's a massive show and it's a massive theatre. Um, but my shows are sort of all about the um, chaos really so yeah. I'm glad that some of that has made it into the actual, into the actual thing. Oh yeah. And uh, interesting thing is on the, um, one of the extras is one of your other shows, an old show from a few years ago. Yes. Um, so you kind of get two, it's very interesting watching the... It's such good value isn't it? It's great value. Yeah. It's literally it's, it's buy one get one free. It's, it's unmissable. It yeah. really is. Yeah. yeah. But did you, can you would, do you think you've changed much from in, those, in that period from a few years ago to now? Yes, well, my accent's changed, yeah. uh, which is awkward. There's a, there's a whole extra where I'm doing a show at the Bloomsbury Theatre three years ago, and I was fully Welsh. Um, yeah. So anyone that didn't know the history would, would be, understandably, would buy it and think, well, uh, why is he schizophrenic? Or how did this happen? Um, and that is a big, that is a big change. Yeah, yeah. I think I've generally... Um, also, the glasses at, at, at that point, and it's only three years ago, but in this extra, but I didn't have glasses and I did have a Welsh accent. It's almost like watching yeah. my own younger brother or something. Yeah. And you're more cleanly um, shaven. I'm as also well. shaved. In those days, yeah. I used to shave, yeah. which is for suckers, it takes ages. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So basically, I've, I've undergone a remarkable change. Yeah. And at that point, I just. Um, I just uh, had a problem with my lung and sort of had a, not exactly a near-death experience, but had a scary hospital moment. Mm. So at that point in 2008, I was sort of um, full of kind of like joie de vivre and like, let's make the most of it. Yeah. That's gone again. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was definitely more optimistic. Yeah, 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 good. But, yeah, it's weird. It, is, it was really weird for me. When I watched the footage for the 2008 Extra, I hadn't seen it for three years. I never watched stuff back. So it was... Um, it's really odd. To, I think in general, I've become sort of marginally more professional. Like, I used oh. to frisk around the stage even more than I was even right. more frantic. But yeah, yeah. The, the I shouldn't really say this, but um, the, the, uh, I had this sinking feeling watching the extra that the 2008 me was actually a bit better. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that's just because if you look at photos, you're like, oh, I wish I still had that. You know, I think it's yeah. just... I hope that that's just a sort of nostalgia, a sort of grass is always greener type thing. Hope I haven't deteriorated. Oh, no, no. I think the, the, I think the new one's better. Probably, I think it's like, you probably do always look back on things and think, oh, why am I not still like that? But it's probably, but I think probably you're, natural. I think I'm fine. I think, I think fine. you're fine. I think yeah. you're much more confident now. Like now, you do all the stuff you do, um, well, right at the beginning, you're there on stage doing the thing with the, where you're tapping in computer and you're looking at the audience. Yeah, audience. I couldn't have done that then. In yeah. fact, the show that, the show that appears, the, the Bristol show, I couldn't have done it on such a big scale. Right. The, the extra, is at the Bloomsbury Theatre, which is only a few hundred people, but at the time it was the biggest show I'd done. And at that point, I wouldn't have been up. I'm definitely better at playing big. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've learned, because yeah, it's, so, uh, it's so sort of antithetical to what I do, really. I'm, I'm such a shambles of a comedian and man, and I rely so heavily on intimacy with the audience and on really low-status stuff. So it took me a long time to get used to playing um, big places. Mm. Even the Hippodrome on the, um, on the DVD stroke download, is, it's only about 2,000, but that is still quite a lot of... Um, yeah, people. Yeah. So I was, I've definitely got better at kind of uh, large scale. Right. There is a paradox, stuff. isn't there? Because you are, you talk about how you're quite um, introverted, really. 
um, oh, yeah. and yet, and yet, I don't know why you want to do this. <laughs> See, exactly. And yet, you're doing this this thing, and and particularly now, where you go into the audience, you do these quite these very bold things. You go into a box. There's a whole bit of the box, a bit with a Pringle. Spoiler. Sorry, spoiler yeah. alert. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's quite. It's very bold stuff for someone who is quite introverted. It strikes me as being a weird, a weird paradox. I think it's always when I I've always been sort of a little bit of an introvert and. Um, when I started doing stand-up, I was a bit of an extrovert on stage. And as I've gone on, the, um, the hi there, if you're new, this is a celebration <laughs> of a launch. Um, Mark the, Watson. Um, yeah. I can't resist the challenge of seeing people. If people drift over, it's like you can buy an iPad anytime. When is, when is Watson going to be in your doorstep again? Mm. Um, I, I feel like I've kind of... Um, the, the polls have become more extreme. So now I'm a m massive introvert in real life, but a huge extrovert on stage. Oh, okay. So it's almost like the more I'm terrified of uh, the rest of humanity I've become, the more I'm going to chase people around in the right. theatre and go in their boxes right. and stuff. It's, it is a spoiler, but in the, the thing starts with me going up in someone's box and one of those private boxes in the theatre and introducing myself from there. Uh, they, they scare the shit out of them. And... Um, <laughs> And then one of them offered me a Pringle, which I ate. The first five minutes of the DVD is just me watching a, uh, eating a Pringle, basically. And, um, yeah, I would never have pulled no, a stunt like yeah, that yeah. three or four years yeah. ago. But the, the, the turning point was I did a... I used to do... A, about two or three years ago, I used to do a beginning where I would be in the audience as the right. audience came in, and no one would ever give me a second glance. And I would be sitting sort of two or three rows back, and I would just shoot up and... Um, uh, not with heroin. Um, I was... <laughs> well, shoot up, I mean, I would hurriedly rise to my feet. Uh, no skag involved. And um, I... Um, and that was the most fun I've ever had doing a show because the the, all comedians dread that moment where the, fir the first 10 minutes of the show where you go out on stage and it's all a bit awkward. So, hi there, thanks for coming. Yeah. So I was able to circumvent. So ever since then, I've looked for um, more and more weird ways to yeah. start shows. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely, yeah, I think it is the case that the more um, I've become a more sort of... Um, pessimistic and basically lonely introverted person. <laughs> so the, that sense of release and catharsis okay. is all the greater on stage. It, the, the logical extension is eventually I'll be like living in a hole and I'll never see anyone, but I'll do my shows naked or something. Yeah, mm. at Wembley Stadium. Yeah, uh, Wembley. yeah. naked yeah, at Wembley yeah. Stadium. Naked yeah. at Wembley would be a yeah. good title for the next release. There you go. Yeah. Have that. Have that. Um, I will. I will. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, the cover sort of writes itself. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It really does. Um, I was going to ask about, you, do, you tell stories about, you touch upon your family, your mum and dad, your wife, um, all of that. Now, other comedians, I know, dare I suggest, often do make stuff up about their life. You know, they'll just talk about... I've they'll never say heard my of wife. I think they do. But yours um, strike me as being genuinely true. Is, are they absolutely true or do, are you kind of... Uh, normally they're pretty much true with a, a little bit of uh, comic fabrication yeah. or elaboration. That, like the... Um, the story, there's a story, spoiler, there's a story about um, threatening to kill myself over a game of Connect Four. Yeah, which, which, which we've which, got a clip yeah. of. Well why, don't we, before, well, why don't we watch the clip, shall we? Well, in answer to the question, why don't we? Because it'll be awful for me. But, okay, uh, but, and, well, yeah, we should, we should, we're tough. meant to, we're meant to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's have a look at the clip. And then la, we'll... la, 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 <laughs> la. I once um, claimed to have committed suicide. I've, I once faked my own suicide um, because I lost to my dad at Connect Four. Um, it, was, um, <laughs> it wasn't just a game, it was um, the Watson Cup. Which uh, I'm sure you probably would have seen it if, if you were. Yeah, the Watson. Someone repeated that. The Watson Cup. That's not even a joke, really. That's what it was called. And it was um, me against my dad. For years, we played this uh, best of seven Connect Four series, and I always lost. This one year, I got to three all, and it was a real Andy Murray situation. It was like everyone was like, "Will this be the year?" Um, I say everyone. No one else knew about this. It was really me and my dad looking back. But at the time, I felt that it was the talk of the nation. And anyway, I lost the seventh game. I don't, I don't want to go too technical in case you're not a Connect Four player, but basically my dad uh, connected four. And um, <laughs> it was over. I was absolutely gutted. I was about eight years old and I thought, that is it. I'm too old now to win the Connect Four Cup. It's never going to happen. I'll never win the Watson Cup. Oh, I was devastated. Um, I thought, I need revenge for this defeat. And so, being a slightly old kid, I 
basically left a note on the kitchen table that said, I've killed myself because of your superior Connect Four skills. <laughs> it's, my parents have still got this note. It comes out every now and again at Christmas. Um, of course, I was eight years old. I had no idea how to fake my own death. It didn't really go that well. I left it on the table. I remember thinking, here we go. Oh, they're gonna, they'll be crying in the kitchen now. The police will be out any time now. But in fact, all that happened was my dad just came up the stairs very slowly, the way your dad does, knocked on the door. I said, yes. He said, thought not. <laughs> very disappointing suicide attempt, that was. Um, yeah, I mean, yes. that's pretty much, um, that was 95% true, I'd say. And it was true that I was so traumatised by the defeat that the year afterwards, I didn't even enter the Watson Cup. <laughs> um, I entered uh, as one of my toys, as a panda, Paddy Panda. And it, I was still playing against my dad, but I made out it was the panda playing, and I did all the moves with his paw, because I was so scared of defeat. My dad, of course, thrashed the panda. Um, there are a few stories in the... Um, in the on the which had kind of I, I don't think I've ever completely fabricated oh, really? the story for right. I mean there have been things that where um, th uh, real life things have happened and you think here's a funnier ending or here's yeah. a but yeah. I I think I don't know I think I'm sort of um, when you're talking about your family it's surprising how hard it is to lie actually yeah. if you, if I were to tell a thing about my mum or something which uh, was a complete lie I my mum would say, I don't remember that, and you'd feel that pang that you always do when you've lied to your yeah, mum. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm quite conscious of my parents and the people that I'm talking about uh, normally actually watching and, it, and, and somehow it feels unholy to yeah. completely lie about stuff. And do you get their permission? Do you tell them the stories you're going to tell on stage? No, no. hell no. Oh, so okay. if I did that, my mum would say, oh, i tell you what else happened that was funny. <laughs> okay. My mum's got this obsession with the idea that she knows what I should be talking about on stage, and it's always, she's always come home from work going, oh, you could use this in one of your skits. And... Um, <laughs> But it'll be something like she was at work and she called a man, the man's called Dean, but she called him Bean by accident. And then she said, you could use that on what of the Week. And I'm not <laughs> sure that will make the 25 minute version. No. So um, basically, if you give my mum a yard, she'll, she'll right. be like basically right, right in my house. So oh, I okay. never warn her. Ideally, okay. I would never let her see it because no. there's no one worse for watching your comment. You know, it just it's so awkward having your parent. They'll yeah. have this on at Christmas and it'll be <laughs> awful, really. Yeah. And my mum, of course, the way the way anyone does when it's a family anecdote is just say, oh, that wasn't what happened. What actually happened was Jeff. Well, no, well, no, it wasn't Jeff. It was Richard. Poor old Richard with his hemorrhoids and so on. You know, um, <laughs> my mum's got no ability to select the details of it. So uh, basically, I never let them... And for years, I actively kept them away from shows. Right, really? Not in a hostile way. Yeah. Just like, don't come to this. <laughs> yeah. you know? But when it gets to the scale of, of this one, you kind of... Yeah. You, if there's 1,500 people there, one of them sort of has to be a mum, realistically. <laughs> mum, even now, my dad hardly ever comes. Really? And I get on very well with my dad, and we're both perfectly happy with the arrangement. Oh, yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. That's good to know. Yeah, it's, there's nothing... It's not, a, it's not a trauma for me at he's all. He's still entering the Watson Cup, presumably. Still, my dad is still yeah, playing the Watson yeah, Cup, too. Um, yeah. He's pretty much unchallenged now. Yeah. It's like that year, the streak that Sam Price had at Wimbledon. Yeah. It's starting to be hard to see whether Federer is going to come yeah, from yeah, challenge yeah. him. Because yeah. there's enough. no more kids, of course. No. No. And what about your wife? Because you're, there's a bit about your wife in there, who you famously proposed to after one of your 24-hour shows. Yeah, you publicity stunt that. Yeah. <laughs> Does she... She's happy for you to use stuff about her? She, she... Well, I, I, luckily, I, it tends to be quite kind of whimsically yeah. flavoured stuff. I'm yeah. not the sort of comedian that... Um, well, do, comedians do sometimes do pretty harsh jokes about yeah. their wives in yeah. particular. And I always wonder... Uh, how is that at home afterwards? Because I'd definitely be killed for that. Right. And I, I sort of think rightly so as well. Like, I don't think just because you're the one on stage you get to say stuff. Like, it no. depends. If it's obviously a joke, I suppose it's fine. But So that basically, I, my wife is fine with it, but then on the other hand, I don't really, I don't really take the piss. I don't okay. really reveal. Sometimes I do see comedians make... Um, do material about basically what it's like having sex with your wife in X, yes. Y, Z situations. And yeah. it may be a joke, but some of it has to be true. On yeah. the other hand, my novels are full of... Um, you know, semi-autobiographical 
detail, which and that is probably more troubling to her, I think. Oh, okay. But at least a joke, you can always say, oh, that's a joke, it's all fine. Yeah. I've heard comedians get out of some very sticky situations, but, yeah. you know. Does she read the novels before they... Do you show her the novels before? No. no. By the time okay. she sees them, I'm dead, that's the plan. <laughs> okay. She certainly doesn't read them before they come out, because then, in fact, no, no one ever does, because, you know... That's the thing. On stage, it's like, maybe that... 20 seconds referred to me but with a novel it's like a sort of definitive 90,000 yeah, word account yeah. of the last couple of years of your life so you can't really let loved ones see that until the last minute because no, they'll right. be able to see themselves written into it so at least with comedy you've always got that layer of irony like oh I didn't mean that you know yeah, yeah. not so easy to do that with a book yeah um, the other thing I was going to ask about the, your comedy in general is um, and that you've written about because you wrote quite a lot of articles for the New Statesman which I were very interesting columns are you still writing columns for them or uh, sort of on and, or off, on and yeah, off yeah yeah. The, yeah I sort of ran out of opinions in the end oh okay but, I, but there were interesting ones about how um, you know, kind of your comedy isn't cruel and doesn't kind of um, enter that world that a lot of other um, comedy does enter into at the moment. There's you know ongoing debate all the time about controversial comedy and cruel comedy, all of that. And yeah. yours completely, obviously, isn't. And is that a, a, that a thing that is just that is natural to you not to be like that, or is it a conscious thing you're thinking I, I'm not going to go into that kind of territory? Well, it's a complicated area really because I think for me it just like I just wouldn't feel happy. I'm the sort of person that if I send a text uh, and I think I've slightly misjudged the tone, I'll send a PS text. So, you know, I'm yeah. obsessive about not upsetting people and stuff. So for me, it just wouldn't come naturally. And this is why I don't... This is why I'm not... Um, I was going to say I'm not very good at. I'll rephrase that because of the presence of my management. I sometimes feel out of... That's not even... Uh, um, now and again, I struggle to adjust to the format of a panel show yeah. uh, because panel shows are essentially about just trashing everyone in the world. And I just don't... I don't like it, fundamentally. I think that the shows like that are good, and I'm not criticising any particular show. Yeah. And in fact, I think some, and some people are brilliant at it without being cruel. I'm doing this show at the moment with Mickey Flanagan. Flanagan's got some really mean jokes, but he never comes across right. as an unkind guy. Right. But it just, for me, it's just not, I just don't like it, basically. Because I don't like insulting people or upsetting people. So it doesn't really make sense to do that. Um, as yeah. part. And I can't do it with very much conviction, that's the thing. Yeah. Be because it just doesn't, but I, you can come across as a real creep. Like, there's, I've done plenty of jokes in my time which basically rely on, well, every joke is cruel to someone or yeah. something. Yeah. Or making fun of someone. Or making yeah, fun yeah. of something, and the whole of the job is to make fun of yeah. uh, life, basically. Yes. But yeah, it's, it's not really a sort of moral stance. It's just I don't, I feel uncomfortable right. doing jokes. If I thought that, because um, there's the, the standard comics defense is always like, oh, you got have a joke, it's comedy, I pick on everyone. Yeah. And that's what a lot of my contemporaries now say. But I don't know, Bernard Manning used to use the same defence and say, yeah. Yeah, I, th I think at some point you've got, you've got to take responsibility. But the main thing is basically, it's not really a universal moral code. It's just more like, I don't like making jokes um, that, that mm. upset people, probably. Yeah. I yeah. also feel like a lot of comedians are remarkably secure in their prejudices. So they'll do a joke about women. Oh, women, they do this, or, you, you know. Yeah. And... Um, but I never feel comfortable making general statements like that, basically. Yeah. If I did a joke like that, I have to say, of course, I know a number of women who defy this rule, and then suddenly it's not really stand-up comedy, it's more like stand-up economics or something. Right. Um, so, yeah. yeah. But yeah. it does trouble me, because there's no doubt that most of the most uh, successful comedians around have got a crueler streak than I have, yeah. and you sometimes question yourself and think, maybe. having said that, um, this is why people like Michael McIntyre or Russell Howard who some people malign for being a bit middle of the road. Yeah. I really, they, these people um, yeah, give yeah, me hope. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about that, yeah, because well, even, because your stuff is, you know, yeah. yeah, he's never done anything that cruel, but no. yeah, he's enormously successful. Yeah. Russell, again, I think there are plenty of successful comedians that don't uh, victimise people, so I, yeah. I like to think that is still a viable option. Yeah, sure. Um, the other thing I was going to ask is that, 
is, is about kind of observational comedy as a thing, really, and that who, who, if you had influences um, on you, or whether really you're... Because on one level, I, look, I was looking at, at, at the show last night thinking, really, he's just talking about stuff that interests him, that is funny, and almost you could say, well, he could have done that without watching any other I'm comedy. Not, in a in way, a I kind of did, because people all... Nearly every interview, someone asks... Um, yeah, who your influence is. Yeah. They ask it fourth after how do you get into yeah. comedy? Did yeah. you really do a 24 hour show and how do you go to the toilet yeah. in those shows? Yeah. I've asked um, it fifth, I think. You've, so, asked it, yeah. you've yeah. done really well. Thanks, yeah. thanks man. But you've thank sort you. of asked some. Yeah, so you've asked questions well, that at least imply a basic level of familiarity with me. You. So that you've you. already done better than every thanks. interview I've done today. Okay. Um, I think the. Um, that sounded really prima donna ish. It's just really hard answering questions about no, how no, you get into I'm comedy because sure. there's nothing interesting to say. No. As it is, I'm sort of struggling for interesting things to say. I think. Yeah, people, there was no real influence on me as a comedian. I used to watch stuff like The Fast Show or The Simpsons because that was what was on. People forget that uh, in the 90s, when I, was, when I was a teenager, there was virtually no stand-up on TV. There was like yeah, Jasper yeah. Carrot, Lenny Henry. Uh, that was almost it. You know, there was, really? Maybe you'd seen Eddie Izzard. But, so basically, I wasn't really inspired by it. I only learned... At the time I first did a gig, I'd, I'd only ever seen about five or six stand-up shows. Wow. So I've sort of learned it by watching people like, say, Dara, O'Brien, yeah. Chris yeah. Anderson, uh, Lee Mack. They're the sort of people I normally... Those people were just getting big when I started. So basically, I, I, um, and I think most comics of my generation were inspired by uh, people that are now our contemporaries, yeah, yeah, yeah. as it were. Okay. There, there weren't many TV comics, whereas now people are coming through that have watched um, Russell Howard or yeah. McIntyre, so yeah. they're imitating them. But I, there are comedians that are incredibly well versed in, like, and they've watched their, um, their Prior and their Seinfeld and their sort of, um, yeah, yeah. and they, they, they've got an encyclopedic knowledge of. But for me, that was never the case. I was into music as a. Um, I still am more into yeah, music yeah, than yeah. comedy, really. really. I don't know a lot about comedy. I mean, I watch the people around me to see what they're doing, but I, d I don't... There are sometimes you're in a car on the way back from gigs and all the other comedians are talking about... Bill. I've watched Bill Hicks, and like, yeah, I, I, sure. I have like a working knowledge of comedy, yeah. but there was no comedian that I watched and thought, I want to be like that, until I began to do it myself. Yeah, yeah. Now there are loads of comedians that I steal bits from. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not a comedy nerd, really, in the sense no, that we are really... No, yeah. wow. basically comedy illiterate. <laughs> I, um, I know much more about music or football or wine or most things actually yeah, but in yeah. a way I think that's healthy mm. like I think um, one of my heroes um, I was going to say musically but just in life is the Super Furry Animals yeah. um, from Man Griff Reed. well the whole of the Super Furry Animals yeah. and I learn much more from bands about how you put on a live show than from comedians and one of the things he said repeatedly in interviews was that the um, he was always just not only nicking things, but just basically just copying everyone that he ever admired. Right. And the result of that is the Super Furries are the, yeah, probably the most unique band of the past 20 years because if you copy, like if you allow yourself to be influenced widely enough, you'll end up with a synthesis which is unique. Whereas there are people that get bogged down with just, oh, I want to be like Eddie Izzard or Dylan Moran, and then you watch it and it is just like that, but shit. Yeah. So in yeah. a way, I think it's healthy not to... The other thing is what they call the anxiety of influence, where if you see enough really good comedians, you don't want to do it because you think, I can Absolutely. never do that. So if do I'll, you deliberately not watch much... Do you not watch much comedy now even? So even though those people you mentioned, do you not watch their shows? Do you not go yeah, to Yeah, because I don't want to watch Chris Addison and think, well, that's just me, but 20% better. <laughs> right. And that's what I will think. I want to watch Minchin and think, well, I might as well kill myself because he's better. <laughs> so I basically don't... I don't watch people I know are better than me. Right. And I don't watch people I know are much worse than me because I, because so that just leaves people yeah. who are exactly the same yeah. as me. And you don't like watching yourself either. At and all I don't like watching myself. No. Basically, no. I don't like comedy. No. I'd much rather watch a documentary. I just watch Mad Men, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I do think, in a way, it's healthy. I, I think psychologically, uh, it, to be doing comedy all the time, thinking about comedy, doing interviews about comedy, and then going home and watch comedy doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I, no. Partly because no. you can't switch off. You're thinking, oh, should I be doing this? And partly just because there's a lot of stuff out there. At, uh, sometimes comedians are just talking about comedy the whole time and I think, is any of you ever sort of 
if you ever like seen a piano or yeah. like a dog yeah. or something, you know, yeah. like, yeah. there is other stuff out there. Yeah. You know, some comedians get unhealthily obsessed with just the way any business people mm. talk shop. Absolutely, I just don't like yeah. it. I like comedy, and it's it's brought me pretty much everything I have. I just don't believe in getting obsessed with the thing you do, yeah. basically. Okay. But yeah, there is a more serious point as well, which is that it's really damaging to watch people that you might feel who's by. It, it's really fine line though. I, w- I would. I watch some things like I read books. For example, I'm a you know a novelist, yeah. and if I read a book that's amazing, I don't uh, feel depressed and think oh, I could never do that. No. The better the book, the more inspired I feel. But that doesn't happen with comedy for some reason. Right. If I watch comedy and someone's miles ahead of me, I think it's because a, a, a novelist's career tends to be over 40 years. So if I read Ian McEwan, yeah, I think, sure. well, that's much better than me, but then he's 60. With comedy, I'm watching people thinking, that's much better than me, and he's 23. Oh. Right. So well, just to rub in yeah. the fact that you don't like watching yourself, let's watch another clip from the show. Yeah, why wouldn't we? My mum uh, has something I term mum syndrome, where she basically can't tell a story without leaving out some massive detail, without which the story becomes completely incomprehensible. My mum is always coming home, oh, you'll love this, you'll be able to use this on television, I should think, and then she'll tell this enormous sort of story, and, and then he said, but uh, Paul was over there, of course, oh, you know Janet, no, who's Janet? Anyway, Janet was over there, story goes on for 10 minutes, and at the end, the punchline will be something like, and he, in the end he said, why don't we all get out? And then everyone just sits there in total silence. And then my mum was, oh, I should have said we were naked in a dinghy. Yeah, um, <laughs> definitely, definitely said that at the start of the anecdote next time. That's lovely to me about your mum. It's true, my mum is a wretchedly bad storyteller, yeah, because she does, she just overloads stories with detail in that way. It's awful hearing someone tell a story that, and it's like, this is last Thursday, ah, was it Wednesday? It might have been Wednesday. <laughs> um, and I was just, um, I was walking down Regent Street, or I might have been, it's actually one of those, that's off Regent Street, and the story is actually about being caught by a bull or something. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. they just can't get away from that. If, if there's a difference between someone that can tell a story well and badly, it's always about fixation with unnecessary detail, I think. Yeah. Cut all the detail. And my mum is a terror for it. She insists, and my mum and my dad have this sort of like almost sitcom esque relationship where um, my dad just um, is barely ever says a word. So my mum will be saying, Who's that act? Who is it, Chris? Who's that act? Um, my dad will go, uh, Hanks, no, 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 you know, and he, but he's, a, he's sort of about 50 in America, and they play these enormously long guessing games where, and it'll turn out it was like Hitler or something. Yeah. Um, my mum's just one of these people that regularly gets the wrong end of every possible stick, whereas my dad's got a very keen analytical mind, so he just waits till about an hour in, and then sometimes my mum will spend an hour trying to remember someone's name, and then my dad will just poke his head around the door, say, Derek, and leave again. He's basically, that, that, that's his job in the house. Would you, would you like to do like a, I mean, we've done... You've done panel shows, you've got a new panel show coming up soon. Well, kind of ish, panel show-ish about advertising and stuff. Yeah. Um, would you like to do a, a comedy based on, you know, your life, a kind of sitcom type of thing, a, a written, scripted well, thing? Well, yeah, I probably I would, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's, um, it's tricky because a lot of people, um, a lot of TV executives watch stand-up and think, um, how can, I've got hiccups, by the way, how can we, oh. um, how can we get that onto the TV? Yeah. And, um, but I think... I think part of the problem, though, is that I have a fairly unexceptional uh, life. There's a, sort of a surfeit of um, white, middle-class, well-educated comedians. So it works all right in stand-up, but I'd need to greatly exaggerate my life before it would make a... Having said that, I mean, it, I, I, it's something I am attracted to, because I think yeah. I'm much better at actually writing. I'm enough of an egoist to think that I'd really love to sort of front a sitcom, but I'm enough of a realist to think that I'm not, I'm not really an actor. I'd have to be playing someone that was exactly like me. But then Seinfeld did that. Seinfeld, yeah, 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 it worked, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't really see myself as an actor, but I probably could pass myself off as a sort of 31-year-old man that can just yeah. about do a Welsh accent. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so, definitely. It, it's, it's, 
I mean, there's all sorts of ramifications then. It's one thing doing jokes about your wife and family on stage. Yeah. If it was a sitcom, it would start to get a bit hairy, I think. But still, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think all that. Okay. Yeah. The more you talk about it, the more this sounds like the perfect Good. sitcom. Good. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. By the way, I will be throwing open to you guys. So if you've got any questions um, you want to ask Mark, please um, be thinking of them now. And I've got some questions from fans as well that were sent to you via your website and your blog and stuff. Um, yeah, we've got yes. quite a lot like that because sometimes in these situations no one wants to ask yeah. a question. Yeah. So just in case, we've got about 70 backup ones for yeah. the website. Yeah. And, and we also answer some of those on the, I answer some yes. of them on the DVD. Yes. Yeah. yes, which is a good little extra as well. Um, yeah. and the, other, the, the thing is just overflowing with extras, it isn't is. it? You'd be mental not to download You'd be it or absolutely, buy it. You, you would. Really absolutely. Would, yeah. The bit where you go to the, um, what's it called, the thing in Bristol with the... Uh, yeah, I was quite keen to really load it up with extras because there's so many DVDs, etc. out there. So there's, a, there's an extra where I just answer people's questions off the website uh, and I'm, they're asked by Alex Horn. It's probably the stupidest extra of all time. Um, uh, but the second stupidest extra of all time, in a good way though, I think, is... Um, I went to Bristol Zoo yeah. to do a... I mean, I don't want to boast about it, but I'm in Bristol Zoo's uh, Walk of Fame. And um, it sounds pretty cool, but it's only people from Bristol. And also, I rigged the voting by getting everyone on, on Twitter to vote. Yeah. So uh, yeah. there's people like Tony Robinson or Massive Attack that have got a few hundred votes, but I got about 40,000. Yeah. <laughs> <Something. laughs> Just by Sorry. doing a tweet and a blog saying, I'd love to be in a Walk of Fame. Realistically, it's got to be Bristol. Yeah. Um, Carol Vorderman is there. Yeah. Vorderman made it into the... Um, She's, she's on the insect house, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the insect but, uh, house, that was it, yeah. She opened the insect house, so yeah. obviously you get a plaque. Yeah. Uh, but I, um, I edged out a few. Justin Lee Collins is in there. There's, there's, there's some yeah. good names, there's about yeah. 100. Um, when I, so I, there's an extra where I went down to the zoo to sort of unveil my plaque with the world's press there. Um, well, Bristol Evening Post were there. And um, <laughs> even, the, even the guy from the Post seemed a bit embarrassed. And, and um, there was an awkward... Well, the whole day was a model in awkwardness, obviously. But the most awkward bit was... Um, uh, the woman sort of the woman that organised that ran the zoo handed it to me and said, um, "Congratulations on entering our Walk of Fame." And I said, "Oh, to be honest, I got a lot of people to vote for me." And she said, "We know, we're really." <laughs> it is still a, a plaque's a bloody plaque. Yeah, it is a really funny um, bit of uh, extra thing. I was going to ask about go, uh, before I do throw them to the audience about the show. The show's about eighty minutes. Yeah, you do your really long shows, slightly longer than. A lot of the ones that are out there. You're right. A lot of them are about an hour. That's they are. But this is my point. Now, this might seem a bit geeky, but do you feel there's an optimum? Like, I was watching it, I was thinking, how does he know? Why is he stopping now? Like, you could have gone on and on, or you could have done... You know, you felt there was an optimum time? Well, I think you know. 80 minutes is... Uh, again, it depends on the range of your abilities. Minchins is two hours. But uh, yeah. I think, in, in general, for, for pure stand-up, there's a sort of point where you think, all right, I've heard you talk now. Um, I, I reckon about 60 minutes even, the, right. the length of a festival show, is yeah. a fair bit. Yeah. Um, obviously, with a theatre show, you, you'd, you'd normally do, I would do maybe 100 minutes to two hours. But then you've got a break, you've got... If, you've, if you're having an evening out, then I think you can listen to someone witter on for a while. If, it's, if you're sitting in your living room watching it, yeah, I reckon about 80 minutes is okay. right. A rugby match is about and the right. The other thing you say is that you talk very fast, which you do. And on, like, yeah, you talk, you talk it's about 110 minutes of words. Exactly, that's what I was going to yeah. say. You could, have, you could have talked a bit slower and it would have been a two-hour two show. Yeah, that's show. right. You would have been yeah, fine. That's the, yeah, or a song pads things out. Oh, yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I do sort of believe in... I think it should be like... Sort of like a, in the same way that a sort of three to four minutes is ideal for a single. I think you want to yeah. get in there, talk quickly, hit it, and then get the hell out again. Right. Basically, right. I do think with stand up, there's a big danger of outstaying your welcome. Not least because although I try to you know vary topics as much as possible and have a sort of arc, still it is just you talk, like certain themes that come up again and again. So I think 
I do think, not just with me, I, I know I tend to do myself down, but with almost any stand-up, Minchin's a bit different, all joking aside, because of the uh, enormous range of his... Um, the, the different, within one show, he does it, covers a lot yeah. of ground. For most stand-ups, once you've got a sense of their worldview and the formula of their jokes and stuff, there is a point where you think... You've got, yeah, that's why Live at the Apollo works really well, because you're only getting yeah, yeah, around yeah. 12 minutes of someone, but even then you feel like, OK, I've seen that guy now. Yeah. So I think... 80 minutes is, is plenty, yeah. Yeah. When you're doing such a free-form thing, because, which it does feel very free-form... It was quite, yeah. It was quite. <laughs> it was do you, And then, like, you'll start a, a story and then you'll go way around the houses and come back to it eventually. Yeah. Do, do you ever completely lose your thread and, and have to just stop and admit that you've lost your thread? Yes, happen? you can tell those bits because I say things like, uh, what was I saying? Right. But uh, handily, a lot of those have not appeared on the actual cut of the DVD. OK. I... I um, yeah, I basically tend to go off on a lot of digressions and like yeah. digressions within digressions. And in Mac terms, it's like opening a window and then you, another window. And then and there are times when I think, there are plenty of times when I'm standing in front of a largest crowd and think, I've got no idea what's well, happening. Yeah. Um, I, I, luckily, I have a style that's so sort of rambling anyway that people right. can't tell the difference between me artfully rambling and me freaking the hell out. <laughs> so I, I, um, I normally get away with it, yeah. But I've been known to just say to the audience, what was I saying? And some comedians, that would look, if Jimmy Carr did that, that would look dreadful. Yeah, For me, it's sort of... It, it, I'm so conversational that it kind of doesn't matter. But I frequently wish I was more... I were more uh, slick and... Uh, you know, oh, I don't, no, but I, if you I were, really, that would be a whole different thing. Yeah, but it? I don't really like it about my... My no, reviews no. always start with, this shambolic <laughs> comedian doesn't look like he knows what he's doing on stage, but that's part of his charm. Okay. But just once I'd like a review that said, this guy's good, that's part of his charm. So <laughs> Something to work on there. <laughs> something to work yeah. on. Yeah. I do... Well, I mean, I... Because it's sort of not possible to... I tr For the DVD recordings, I was nervous, and I did have a sort of little sheet of topics to, to go right. back to. But in fact, I did not use it once because it's impossible yeah. because it would look... There's no way of concealing it on stage, really. You can have it, like, uh, on a speaker or something, but you, it would be obvious. So yeah, basically, I just, sure. I just sort of tried to blag it a bit. Well, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was. It was. I, um, I, th I, th I tend to think the thing is, the fun of watching a stand-up like me, if there is any fun, <laughs> tends to be, like, is in the whole adventure. Like, where's he going now? Yeah. So in a way, coming back to the original topic is less important than just the fun of the digression. So yeah. if I don't finish what I was saying, it normally doesn't really matter. I think people... I'd, I'd rather people felt like, wow, this is... I don't know where he's going with this. You yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah, completely. No, I think it's... I mean, it does feel like you're hanging out with you, you know, for kind of 18 minutes and kind of having a good time. And that's kind of... That would be my interpretation. Yeah, I think that's, that is the sort is of... Um, yeah, as long as people don't take the hang out with me thing too literally, <laughs> Sorry, I think no. it's basically fine. If you go yeah. home and they're sort of in your garden, it's a problem. Yeah, that but, um, yeah I, do, I think there's no point in pretending otherwise. Like, yeah. Some comedians do naturally adopt the sort of high status talking down to the audience thing, but it would just ring so falsely if I sure. did that. So I go sure. to the other extreme and basically befriend people. <laughs> yes. I've been known to... Even with the blog, basically, I have quite an unhealthy level of personal interaction with people. But I yeah. think that's kind of why I got into comedy. I got into it to be loved. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if I can at least have a bit of that, then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, also, actually, genuinely as well, because I sometimes get criticised for, for being, like, too... Do you? Yeah, for, for engaging too much really? with people. By some people, yeah. But I do think... Well, on what grounds, though? Why is that? On why the grounds that, that it looks a bit... That you ought to um, leave a certain distance between uh, okay. yourself and your fans. Because if it looks like you actually are their mate, then you lose right. a bit of the mystery uh, or, okay. or, or something. Okay. Also, sometimes it's awkward if you have to find them a spare bed and things. <laughs> yeah. But um, I just sort of think that if you're gonna if you're gonna have a relationship with the audience where it's like, all right, I'm basically your mate, we're chatting, then it's a shame then if they meet you afterwards and you're not like it feels dishonest yeah, right, to me. Sure. I, I think I like to see that through you yeah. know. No, absolutely. Yeah. If you pride yourself so heavily on being like my whole act is that I'm just like one of you, then it feels a bit wrong to me to be like 
on the other hand, I am leaving as quickly as I can. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I'll just start with a fairly straightforward question. Graham Band says, would you rather be attacked by a dozen duck-sized horses or a single horse-sized duck? Uh, a dozen horses the size of ducks, a dozen yeah. tiny horses, or one enormous duck? Yeah, basically. It's the tiny horses, I think, isn't it? Because you can, yeah. you can take them on one by one. Um, but it depends how well, how militarily formed they are. Yeah. If it's a dozen duck-sized horses that are sort of have me surrounded, then no, you've got to go for the... Oh, it's tricky, this. I sort of almost rather not be in either scenario, I think. No, I, I, I'd just rather fight a man and be done with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah me neither. But no, if I'm pushed, I would rather have a single adversary than 12. Okay. So I'll go for the uh, surprisingly big duck, I think. Okay. I think. I hope I'm not <laughs> going to be held to this. No. Well, that's Graham's question. Katie says, when you get to 40, what's the one thing you'd if, like to... When you get to 40, what's the <laughs> one thing you'd like to have achieved that you haven't already? Well, that is a good and that's quite an slightly... That's quite an incisive question. Crack. Good question, yeah. yeah. For someone with my level of paranoia, that's a cracker. Um, well, actually, I, I was talking about this today with someone. It's, it's quite... Um, the trouble is, you always, you always uh, raise your own bar. At one time, I would have been really happy with just this. Yeah. As it is, I wake up every morning and think, oh, oh, I'm rubbish. So, I, you, because you, you automatically adjust your expectations, I think... To you know, it's the same with the football team. At one time, my football team, if we could have just got into the championship, I would have been so happy. Yeah. Now we are, and yeah. I'm not really. I'd like Bristol you know, City. Bristol City, yeah. Bristol City. Well, I am happy with the way things are. Yeah. But even while you acknowledge that you've improved, you, you always want to do better in life. So I think the ultimate answer is, when I'm 40, I'd like to have found a way to to just be content with uh, yeah. thing rather than I'd like to not be constantly pushing myself to. I'd like to still be hungry for whatever, but I, I'd I'd like to feel at 40, I'd be better adjusted towards my achievements than I am now. But in terms of what I'd like to be doing, I'd like to be doing this, but just better. Like, I'd like to be a novelist still, but just with a m more uh, readers. I'd like to be a comedian, but just a better comedian. I think the, uh, the best ambition you can have is just to still be doing what you're doing, yeah. but just to have got as good as you possibly can yeah. be at it. Because if you start thinking, oh, I'm 40, I'd like to be in a film, or anything like that, you're likely to be dis deluding yourself. Sure. If you just think about in term, your, if your ambitions are just to master your own art, I think that's yeah. probably yeah. the best ambition. Yeah. yeah. Talking of are you still writing your column for the, fan, for the um, uh, programme? Yeah, I'm not doing it this year. Oh, okay. Um, because it, like with any sort of regular column you take on, it, it would always get to Friday morning, and I think, ah, oh, God. Um, yeah. But I still I take an active interest in, um, and I'm always on the Bristol City Forum, yeah. But then now, f people know I'm a Bristol City fan because I've been on TV. So occasionally, occasionally I'll come up, and then I'm, there's nothing worse than stumbling upon a conversation about you on a forum. Oh God, so I yeah. try and stay away from yeah. that now. Yeah. So Fair I'm still enough. engaging in Bristol City discussion, but increasingly under assumed names. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. Um, so this good game. People could play, try and work out who you are from your assumed names on yeah, the Bristol City forums. Yeah, any forums I ever go on, I've got so many different uh, really? aliases. Yeah, you, you sort of have to, yeah. yeah. Especially the sort of forums I like. Yeah. So um, <laughs> you were... <laughs> A risky joke in a shop where they could probably instantly <laughs> access your entire browsing history. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, um, but for, yeah, for two years I did do the Bristol City Match Day programme. Yeah. It's funny, it, sound, it probably sounds like such a poxy thing to do. Oh, like no, a it's a huge job. If you're a fan of it, I'd love to do one for Arsenal. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a yeah. wonderful feeling because, you know, as a football fan, like I've got an enormous collection of football programmes. I've got programmes dating back to the 60s and 70s. And I've got Bristol City, like for every, every Saturday I would buy the... Um, not every Saturday, because half of those games you're away, so it's silly to go um, <laughs> if there's no one in the stadium. Yeah. But uh, every home game would always buy the programme and you give the guy a quid and you've got your... So it becomes a real icon. It's sort of a symbol of a, a simpler, more innocent age yeah. of football, the football programme. So if I'd been told one day I'd have my own column, it's yeah, really amazing. Yeah. yeah, That's a good example of something, though, that when I was actually doing it, it was like, oh, God, I've got to do my column. And I'd have to 
sometimes stop myself and think, what you, like, this is amazing. You yeah, know, yeah. I'm regularly having to tell myself I'm moaning about it. Even with someone, I, I wasn't um, begrudging doing this, but I, I woke up thinking, I hope this goes well. Mm. Oh, what will I do? Will it be all right? And then you have to stop and think, this is amazing, actually. You know, this is yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, Melinda, going back to the questions, what is the one thing that people, upon meeting you, are most surprised about? Uh, oh, my height. Oh. I'm always taller than people expect because my posture is appalling. Yeah. And uh, also, mostly people see me on panel shows, so they believe that I'm <laughs> tiny. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, TV, and TV's meant to add pounds, but it doesn't really with me. So people think I'm uh, thin but small, and they're always surprised. I'm just about six, well, I'm six foot, in yeah. fact, and, yeah. but I slouch so much that, so people, about two or three times a day, people say, I didn't think you were that tall. Wow. The most, uh, the best person ever to say it to me was the lead singer of the Fine Young Cannibals. Wow. I, um, Roland, Roland Gift. Gift. Wow. Yeah. I met him on the BBC and uh, I couldn't believe it because, again, I have a, you know, I'm never impressed by meeting other comedians or actors because I don't really care about actors, but I am impressed by pop stars, anyone to do with music, anyone to do with football. So I ran into Roland Gift and I was like, were well, you the lead singer of the Fine Young Cannibals? And he said, oh, you're taller than I thought. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah, I drove um, him crazy. Well, the next thing is about meeting someone famous. What's the most? Natalie asks, "What's the most impressive thing about meeting Al Gore?" Oh, he um, he is he's properly big, like yeah. physically imposing. Not really, not fat or even that tall, but he's just got one of these. He's just one of these people that are properly um, he's got. Well, he's one of the few people I've met that have a genuine. Um, I met him because I did a course a few years ago about the environment, and um, in Australia, Al Gore was there sort of hosting it and um, he's, he's one of these people I've met only a couple in my life that, um, you, that you hear about that when they walk into a room the atmosphere is sort of instantly transformed yeah. like when you're in love with someone and as soon as they walk in that's all you're conscious of I'm not saying I'm in love with Al Gore <laughs> but it's sort of a crush I suppose yeah. but, um, I've met uh, yeah I would say a handful of people in my life that if he was to walk into even this place now uh, something would change and it's impossible to say what it is but that's what is meant by charisma I think yeah, there's just yeah. something about the way he holds himself and it's amazing of course because famously he lost out on being the president yes. partly because of mathematics and cheating yeah. uh, but partly because he was always famed as a politician being really wooden yeah, but yeah, in yeah. person weird, he's in yeah. astonishingly yeah. charismatic I think that American politics just like knocks the edges off people and makes them really bland yeah. but in person he's I imagine the same with Obama I imagine a certain type of politician is able to turn it on but yeah, he's just got that thing that you, you couldn't really describe it, but um, what the X Factor used to mean before it meant that yeah, show. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Would you, you still take an interest in politics? Have you been on Question Time yet? Have they asked you to go on Question Time? Yeah, they've asked me. I bet they have. But I'm terrified yeah. because um, it, it is a, I mean, that's a really big gig. I, mm. You know, and I, I think, like, I'd love to do it. I'm going to do it as well. It's just I haven't yeah. had a free um, day. Okay. But I, I think it's, I would be very nervous doing that, I think, yeah. because like most comedians that's really all I want is to be taken seriously to be seen as an author yeah. to be seen as intelligent and, and then this is your chance to look like a real moron so um, and no matter how well versed you are there's always going to be some rogue question and sure. also I mean there's I again this culture of like tweeting and um instant feedback yes, and stuff, yes. it would break my heart to go on question Oh yeah, time. people will be slugging you off and instantly. You yeah. go on Twitter and there's 118 people going, yeah. this guy's a dick. So this happened to me a lot, but I expect it with panel shows. On question time, I'd feel like, ah, yeah. oh, that's a shame. Yeah. So of course, again, the answer so is just don't do go on anyway. Twitter for a bit, but yeah. you, always con you always know if, if it's happening or not. Having said all this, it would be amazing. Yeah. And I've been on, I've been on um, uh, things like Newsnight, and yeah. Newsnight did an election special. I went on Paxman, yes. hosted that. Once you've been with Paxman, you've basically done everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's t he can, he's tall. Um, yeah. And he, it was amazing. I was really scared. I was really nervous doing it. It was me and like Chris Hoon and a couple of other uh, candidates. 
But then Paxman came on, and it was like the Newsnight music and everything, and I thought, bloody hell. But then just before we went on to record, Paxman said, oh, I've got an awful cold, and blew his nose. I thought, oh, it's fine. <laughs> it's one of those moments. Like, also, I did, I did do Celebrity Mastermind, and that, oh, is, that is, like, the most terrifying thing in a way, yeah. because... You know, for a start, the, the, the thing of being called a celebrity, you know you're really not. But then Mastermind is just, even with the... Yeah, it's meant to be fun. It's meant to be for children in need. But it wasn't. It was for ourselves. It was, it was for children in need in the sense that it was, you know, part of children in need night. But yeah. there's no friends out there. No. It was... Um, what was your special subject? The World Cup since 1966. And um, I'd taken it really seriously. As you might not be surprised here. I, yeah. I, uh, what's it called? I revised for ages. Yeah. But Lucy Porter was doing Steve Martin, and she had also revised for ages. Dave Spikey had been on before, so he didn't really care. And Stephen Kamos was just dicking about. So um, <laughs> he didn't even know anything about his own subject. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his one was the band Five Star, the 80s band Five Star. Amazing. And the first question, he was, I don't know, really. <laughs> um, but that's the thing. It, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not worth doing it like that. Because no. Mastermind, you can be like, oh, I'm a Mastermind, ha, ha, ha. But as soon as you're in that chair, yeah. it's a classic thing of like, I wish I'd done more work. Yeah. Um, for the record, I, scored, I did well, but yeah. just lost out to Porter. But I was proud of myself. That's yeah. Annoying, yeah. So I've done okay. the old intelligent thing where yeah. I think that was great. But there's something about question time. People get so angry as well as so self-righteous. I think it could be quite scary. Yeah. Yeah, but I'd like that. You will do it, though. I, I reckon so. Yeah. People like Brigstock have done it in pieces yeah. that are quite similar yeah. to me. So I think that would be... Yeah. I would relish the chance to talk about an, uh, a topic of the day for more than 10 seconds without someone saying, Is it Cameron? <laughs> and and uh, getting the point. Um, going back to questions. Um, Tom Beasley, I like this question. How does someone as nice as you deal with, oh. being, deal with being heckled? I just do it with a smile on my face and then go off and cry. Okay. Well, actually, heckling doesn't happen a lot to me because I, no. uh, once you have your own sort of audience, it's a theatre show, people just get... So one of the most common sort of delusions is that comedy is all like people yelling at each other and stuff. But once you get to even the basic level that I'm at where you, where you can tour with your own show, it's been very rare on my own tours that people have heckled. You get in Nottingham, it'll happen. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in the civilised world, you'll rarely be heckled. <laughs> I, um, I, when it has happened, it's, it's, it's I mean, I used to do clubs and it would happen all the time. Yeah. But in fact, even for someone as nice as me, it's not that hard because normally... And uh, this is a tip if you're thinking of doing comedy. Normally, if you ask them to just... If you just say, what do you say? Three quarters of the time, they won't even have the guts to go oh, that really? far. Yeah, right. because most heckling uh, in comedy clubs and stuff is just impulsively someone yells something out and immediately thinks, ah, oh, shit. And if you actually take them up on it, then straight away... And what I will normally do is actually try and have a conversation with them because I'm confident that if it becomes a, a proper yeah, yeah. battle of wits, yeah. it should be fine. But normally they just shut up straight away. Heckling's much less a part of... Um, of comedy. Having said that, as I say, this is this is because I've been around for a few years. Yeah. Well, not, I'm sure, no, if you no, go to the comedy store tonight, you'll see a bit of. You'll see a bit of it, and certainly if you go to sort of low grade clubs. Well, I was once booed off stage with people going off, off, and chucking money at me, <laughs> but not a lot of money, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and like everyone, everyone's had those experiences, yeah. but yeah. And, uh, it used to crush me. But, like I used to, there's no. It's true that I'm probably too sensitive, stroke nice for those situations, but. Yeah. I reacted to it by thinking, you just got to either get good enough to not be in those situations or never do it again. Yeah. I went away from that gig thinking, I'm definitely never doing this again. But, y you know, you survive it and you do... Um, you build up... Even someone as sort of flimsy as me does build up a certain kind of veneer yeah. of self-protectiveness. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Sure. The bottom line is that you're on the stage and they're not. So if they're going to take you on, they better be funny. And normally people don't want that challenge yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. there's been the occasional one where the worst heckle I've ever had by a million miles is I, I did a corporate gig last year for a bunch of bankers and it was going pretty well but I then did a dick joke which I had to do because someone shouted out there was a lot of like city boys laddish banter which I do not relish but I, you know if you're hired to do a corporate gig you do it 
So I start this guy like was like get your dick out or something like that, and I started sort of riffing on the idea of the, the logistical awkwardness <laughs> of me exposing my penis to this room of people. Yeah. And it was quite funny, but it was still on their terms. And then the CEO of the company was this 80-year-old man, and he shouted out. Stop being lewd or you will not be paid. Oh, no. Uh, atmosphere. <laughs> and this is Christmas party. Absolutely horrible. I never thought I'd be called lewd. Um, and there's nothing much worse. So then, of course, all of the audience were like, oh, shit, we bet the boss doesn't like it. We better not laugh. Yeah. So the remaining 10 minutes just was played out in this horrible, embarrassed <laughs> silence. And at the end of the show, this is the, I've, ne I've very rarely prided myself on my career, but at the end of the gig, I said, well, thank you, you were a really nice crowd, and then the atmosphere was poisoned by one selfish man. <laughs> and uh, then I went off stage thinking, yes. So and was 80-year-old um, man. Yeah, and of course everyone was like, oh, that was great, mate. I, I had everyone on side apart from this um, sort of Monty Burns figure. Yeah. But uh, he was just enough to ruin the evening. Yeah. But I really felt like I had the moral high ground. And, um, I, and the bookers of the... Everyone was fine apart from him. Okay. But yeah, if, if you're going to be heckled, you don't want it to be by the man that's sort of paying no. for it, no. really. And I think we've got time for one more question, which I'm going to get picked from Kate W, um, which is... I like this question. If you could interview anyone, alive or dead, who would it be? You. Oh, just to turn don't be watch. ridiculous. Yeah, well, just because it'd be, uh, you know, I've sort of. That would be. It would just be. Uh, deeply tedious. Yeah, but just, just purely because it's been all you, yeah, you for yeah. an hour. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to turn the table. Okay. Um, Sadly, it's This no is time. a tricky one. It would be living, not dead, I think, because yeah. of the awkwardness. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's a cracker of a question, it actually, because yeah. when you start thinking about this, in reality, it would be dead. I guess it would have to be someone like. I suppose, but something like Shakespeare seems like a bit of a... Probably Jesus, actually, yeah. just to really get to the bottom of this whole thing. Yes. Yeah, yes. you know. But except that then you've got the Hebrew problem, so I don't yeah. know. Assuming an interpreter... Well, go, could do Moses first? No. Yeah, no. a capable interpreter, I think mm. I'd say Jesus. And certainly when the time... Oh, sorry, I'm, you meant, speaking Hebrew. I thought you meant you want, you, want to do, you want to take into account the Old Testament as well. That's what I thought you meant. Yeah, no, no I mean, no, yeah. No. Oh, Moses, you've got a whole new set yeah. of problems. He's yeah. got his bloody... I guess you could write the questions on tablets and have them yeah. sent back. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, when people ask um, if you could go back to anywhere, it, I always say the crucifixion, because partly because it would be great to have the, the lowdown on that. Yeah. Um, I want to stay around for three days to see if he did pull off the old... Um, <laughs> um, but also just the Roman Empire. Is, it's got to be the Roman Empire. I'd, yeah. I'd love to... Either that one. But, yeah, who would you interview? Or maybe Chaucer, because Chaucer was sort of my literary hero. And, again, I'd love to go back to the mid Middle Ages. So it, a lot depends on how we conduct this interview. Okay. If I can go back to 1396 yeah. and interview Chaucer shortly before he dies, no problem, that'd be great. That's a good answer. I like it. Yeah, Failing that, um, okay. yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a cracker, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. More realistically, uh, yeah. just someone like... Someone alive. Um, a Maggie Gyllenhaal, I suppose, but oh, that's yeah. not all about the interview. Okay. <laughs> I see. Um, brilliant. Well, that's about what we've got time for. And just to say, just to remind you that you can pre-order uh, Mark's show to download. Download it on the 28th of November, which is in a couple of Mondays' time, I think. But you can pre-order it now. I did watch it. It is brilliant, and you get all those extras as well. And thank you very much for coming, and thanks to Mark Watson. Thank, thank you, you very much.